Viewpoint on Mormonism, the program that examines the teachings of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints from a biblical perspective. Viewpoint on Mormonism is sponsored by Mormonism Research Ministry. Since 1979, Mormonism Research Ministry has been dedicated to equipping the body of Christ with answers regarding the Christian faith in a manner that expresses gentleness and respect. And now, your host for today's Viewpoint on Mormonism. Welcome to this edition of Viewpoint on Mormonism. I'm your host, Bill McKeever, founder and director of Mormonism Research Ministry. And with me today is Eric Johnson, my colleague at MRM. Before we get into our series topic, I wanted to add something to what I said in yesterday's broadcast about the assurance of salvation and how as Christians we can have this assurance. Now, I don't want to imply that if a professing Christian is questioning whether or not they have that justification that is needed for the forgiveness of sins, that that somehow automatically assumes that they are not a true believer. As I was quoting yesterday J.C. Ryle on what is the church, let me also quote J.C. Ryle, who was a Christian theologian and Anglican bishop in Liverpool, England during the 19th century, he said this, There is such thing as strong assurance of our acceptance in Christ, and a Christian should never rest till he has obtained it. That a man may be saved without this strong assurance, I do not deny, but that without it, he misses a great privilege and much comfort, I am quite sure." Basically what he's saying, if you are a professing Christian and you don't have the assurance that your sins are forgiven, there's something in the gospel that you must not understand, and I would strongly encourage you to talk to a mature Christian or perhaps even your own pastor to find out why that assurance is lacking. We began looking at a talk given by Ted Callister of the Presidency of the Seventy. He's with the Church Educational System. It was a devotional for young adults that he gave on January 12, 2014 at Brigham Young University. It was titled, What is the Blueprint of Christ's Church? One of the main faults with this whole presentation that he gave is that he starts off with what we feel is a false premise as to what the church really is. And so yesterday we described the fact that the church is not an organization, it's not a building, but it's composed of individual men and women who have been redeemed, who have been forgiven. Christ's church is the sum total of those whom he has forgiven. Let's continue that thought, Eric, because I want to make that point very clear that even when it comes to the word church, we are not in agreement with the Latter-day Saints. Yes. Let me, let me keep reading what Callister has said in his talk. The spiritual blueprint for this church can be found in the New Testament. Occasionally, the Savior made a change order to the blueprint. Such a change order came in the form of a revelation. For example, the Savior initially commanded his apostles to preach the gospel to the house of of Israel, but not to the Gentiles. After the Savior's ascension, however, he gave Peter a spiritual change order, a revelation by way of a vision that the gospel should now be taught also to the Gentiles. This experience of Peter taught at least two important governance principles in Christ's church. One, the blueprint could be changed, but only by revelation from Christ. And second, such revelation would come to the prophet who was God's spokesman on earth. In other words, God's church would be governed by divine revelation and by order. Do you really think that the Apostle Peter had in mind this phrase that revelation would come to the prophet who was God's spokesman on earth? The problem I have with that is the structure that Callister is 
referring to in his own mind, I don't think is the pattern in the New Testament. But of course, Callister is going to try and make that connection because let's be serious. The whole point of his talk is to make a connection that somehow Mormonism is the way things ought to be. But let's go back when he talks about preaching the gospel. I think when Callister brings this up, he once again makes the point that the LDS church is exclusive and that they are certainly not anything like anyone else. And I don't think this should be missed by anybody on the outside looking in, especially those who may misunderstand and think perhaps the Mormon church is getting away from those exclusive claims of its past, because here's proof that they are not. Callister is proving the uniqueness of Mormonism. He's already made a case for the fact that they believe that they represent the only true and living church upon the face of the earth. He's making that case again. But then when he talks about the gospel, what is the gospel that Callister has in mind? It's not what we have always understood the gospel to be. And that is, we believe that the gospel is good news. It's something that can be obtained. But the gospel, according to Mormonism, is certainly based on works, a lot of works, so many things that an individual member must do that in our experience in talking with Latter-day Saints, it's hard to find a Mormon that's even willing to say they've done everything they're supposed to do in order to receive the benefits of this alleged gospel. Let me read you something from Heber J. Grant, who was the seventh president of the Mormon Church. This is found in the book Gospel Standards, pages 197 to 198. But what makes it important is this was a statement that was given in General Conference in October of 1918. He said, Time and time again, my heart has been melted. My eyes have wept tears of gratitude for the knowledge that he lives and that this gospel, called Mormonism, is in very deed the plan of life and salvation, that it is the only true gospel upon the face of the earth, that it is in very deed the gospel of of the Lord Jesus Christ. That goes along with what we were saying yesterday when we cited from DNC 130 and, exactly. and these other places that the church exclusively has the truth, the same truth that the New Testament apostles had. But yet we find many professing Christians trying to make the case that somehow the Mormon church is getting away from all that. Well, I don't see that in this talk, that's for sure. Oh, that's you're right on that. And this is what 12th President Spencer W. Kimball said. I think he's very clear. And this, by the way, is in a church manual used a few years ago in the teaching at Sunday school, Teachings of Presence of the Church, Spencer W. Kimball, page five. He said, the Lord Jesus Christ, our Redeemer and Savior, has given us our map, a code of laws and commandments whereby we might attain perfection and eventually godhood. This set of laws and ordinances is known as the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it is the only plan which will exalt mankind. The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is the sole repository of this priceless program in its fullness, which is made available to those who accept it. The Lord restored his kingdom in these days with all its gifts and powers and blessings. Any church that you know of may possibly be able to take you for a long ride and bring you some degree of peace and happiness and blessing. And they can carry you to the veil, and there they drop you. The Church of Jesus Christ picks you up on this side of the veil, and if you live its commandments, carries you right through the veil as though it weren't there and on through the eternities to exaltation. 
Now, think about what Kimball just said in that statement. Folks, if there is ever any proof that the Mormon Church is not a Christian organization, that statement from Kimball made it clear. Look at what he says. This set of laws and ordinances is known as the gospel of Jesus Christ. What did the Apostle Paul tell the Galatian church? He made it very clear that it wasn't about laws and ordinances. And what is Kimball doing? He's saying it is. He says if you live its commandments, it will carry you right through the veil as though it weren't there and on through the eternities to exaltation. That is not the message the Apostle Paul was giving us in the book of Galatians. And if you're a Latter-day Saint listening to this, I challenge you to go read the book of Galatians. It's not very long. You can do it in a few minutes. But you will not find anything that is similar to what Eric just quoted from Spencer W. Kimball. You just will not find it. I want to say this again. If there's ever any proof that the Mormon church's view of the gospel is different, here's the proof. It's not the same. Now, Callister is starting this paper by using two of the 17 points we were talking about yesterday, 17 points of the true church, that was done many, many years ago. We're not sure who the author of that was. But the first point in the 17 points is that Christ organized the church, and they use Ephesians chapter 4 to support that idea. And also the fifth point, the true church must claim divine authority, and they get that out of Hebrews chapter 5. Let me keep reading from what Callister had said to show you that he is using those two points. He said, if one desired to discover Christ's church today, he would want to match the spiritual blueprint found in the New Testament against every Christian church in the world until he discovered a church that matched the blueprint. Organization for organization, teaching for teaching, ordinance for ordinance, fruit for fruit, and revelation for revelation. Now let me stop you there, Eric, because I want to make the point that this shows Callister's not talking about what we're talking about when we say church. When he says he would want to match the spiritual blueprint found in the New Testament against every Christian church in the world. What is he thinking? He's thinking organizations. Right. We're not thinking organizations when we look at the New Testament understanding of the church. That's important, folks. You've got to understand that. We do not see the Christian church being described as an organization in the New Testament. That is something that Mormons believe. It's not totally unique to Mormonism, but it certainly is a part of Mormonism. So when he talks about this blueprint found in the New Testament against every Christian church in the world, Callister's got it wrong right there. He's incorrect in trying to explain what the New Testament says about the church. He is wrong. And because he's wrong on his foundational point, what do you think the rest of his claims are going to be? Bill, I did a little research on the word ecclesia, which is translated church in our Bibles. If you go to Vines, which uh, defines different New Testament words, it doesn't even have the word church. It uses ecclesia under assembly, and it says that in the Septuagint, which is the Greek Old Testament that was made several hundred years before Christ, that it referred to the gathering of Israel summoned for any definitive purpose or a gathering regarded as representative of the whole nation. And then it goes on and talks about how it's used in two different ways for Christians. Number one, to the whole company of the redeemed throughout the present era, the company of which Christ said, I will build my church from Matthew chapter 16. And so it's the whole company. It's the group as we've been talking about. And then second, 
it says in the singular number to a company consisting of professed believers. We said yesterday that we oftentimes will say, well, I'm going to go to church. We're thinking about a building with a cross on top. That's not the way it was used in the New Testament. It wasn't an organization, which is the common LDS interpretation. It always refers to a collective set of believers. We gave some verses yesterday to help show that. I've listed a whole bunch on our article on this topic, mrm.org slash blueprint church with the hyphen between. I've given at least 12 or 15, and I didn't give all of them, but every single time it refers to this collective gathering of believers. And that goes again to what we're trying to get across here in this series. Callister gets it wrong because he's using basically a Western understanding of this word. You're right, as we were talking about yesterday, when we say we're going to church, we understand that in our Western understanding. But that would not probably have been understood that clearly by, let's say, an Apostle Paul or anyone in the first century who would use that term. It wouldn't be like that. It wouldn't be used like that. We use it that way. And unfortunately, Callister uses it that way. And because Callister uses it that way, he gets his whole premise wrong. And I think we cannot overlook this. The church is not an organization. It is the sum total of those whom Christ has redeemed. But unfortunately, Callister and the Mormon church, definitely, they've lost sight of that. He's building a whole argument, really, on a straw man. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information regarding Mormonism Research Ministry, we encourage you to visit our website at www.mrm.org, where you can request our free newsletter, Mormonism Researched. We hope you will join us again as we look at another viewpoint on Mormonism.